The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 37, brought to you by the Five Folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K I S T. And here with me, as always, to break down the upcoming enemy quarterback that the Eagles will be facing this week. Also, take a look back at some Carson Wentz and break down his game and perhaps a look around the league as well as quarterback one in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? We meet again, Mr. Kist. <laughs> Michael, it's great to be back with you again. Always a super fun time on the QB Sco Show. And as always, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show, a little bit of history. And we Let's begin go. on familiar ground for my co-host. As those of you watching on News Channel 8 can see, I am holding up histories from Herodotus, the Tom Holland translation, and a book rented to me by our learned co-host here on the QB Sco Show. And I, I have this in my hand, Michael, because just a few days ago, we got a bit of a request from Charles Cassidy on Twitter. Homest, you can follow on Twitter at C for Clarity. And this was his request complete with a GIF or a GIF if you're crazy. Okay, so at Michael Kist NFL and at Mark Schofield, a violation to ask about the Battle of Thermopylae on the next pod? And Michael, of course, this is a request I'm all too willing to honor. Now, we don't have enough time to give this battle like the full attention it deserves. I mean, it spawned movies, some incredible work, even the modern era. But I did want to read from Herodotus for a moment, and I quote. Can I, can I correct you on that? Say it Uh-oh. with me. Say it with me. Uh-oh. Herodotus. Herodotus. There you go. Herodotus. That's I want to guy. read from Herodotus there for you go. a moment. There you go. In the midst of their deliberations, Xerxes sent a scout out on horseback to spy out their numbers and to see what they were up to. Xerxes had already heard, while still in Thessaly, that a tiny force had assembled in the past, led by the Lacedaemonians under Leonidas, and that Leonidas was of the bloodline of Heracles. The horsemen came galloping up to the camp and duly made a survey, though not of the whole camp, since it was impossible for him to see most of the troops who were stationed behind the wall which they had repaired and were now garrisoned. Instead, the scout took stock of the men who were out in the open, with their arms and armor piled up in front of the wall, and who at the time, as it happened, were the Lacedaemonians. Some of the men the scout saw to his astonishment were exercising naked, and some were combing their hair. (laughs) Keeping his eyes peeled, however, he added up their numbers, and then, once he had arrived at an accurate total, galloped off unhindered. Rather than pursuing him, everyone treated him with the utmost indifference. And so he went back to Xerxes and reported all he had seen. Now, Michael, I bring this up and I want to ask you a question here. This image 
of the Spartans, the Lacedaemonians, knowing they faced certain death, knowing they were outnumbered, knowing that they were going to hold this tiny pass at the stake of their lives, exercising naked and just relaxingly combing their hair. How does that contrast with, say, two fan bases of teams, teams that will meet on Sunday night, perhaps to determine their own futures? How, how does the ca- the almost calm nature of the Spartans contrast with what we've seen from, say, Cowboys and Eagles Twitter this past week? I wish we had. I wish we had had some calm. I wish I was exercising <laughs> naked, combing my. You know, everyone knows I have this just luscious hair. There is such a freak out. Hit every panic button in the room. Pull every fire alarm moment type deal going on with Cowboys and Eagles Twitter. In a way. I think it's bringing the two fan bases together only to completely destroy them at the pass in Thermopylae when the battle really begins. So, yeah, it's an interesting contrast between the two. And it's funny because this is a topic that today just seems to keep finding me with the Battle of Thermopylae. Someone in Betts's mentions said, explain how Leonidas and the 300 Spartans could have won if they came on a 4-3 overfront with him playing single high as a high spear thrower. (laughs) And Betts is like, yo, this is Michael Kissed already. And I'm like literally reading Herodotus at the time. Right. And then I, I turn on Netflix to put on something for the kid who's sick with a, with an ear infection. The the main thing they're playing on Netflix at the top is the preview for 300, the movie, which I have mixed opinions on. Uh, it's it's over the top. It's fun. It's gore. It's uh, extremely inaccurate and xenophobic. But, you know. Other than that, though, how was that? Yeah. I mean, when it was released, you can understand the the political uh, machinations going on behind that. But we won't get into politics. Let's not let's not talk about that. Let's not make everybody mad. <laughs> what you're saying is, it is Dallas week, and boy, everybody is freaking out. Two, three, and three teams battling for the top of the division, seeing who can get right, and this game might go a long way in determining the future success of of, of the different paths that these teams take throughout the season. Because Dallas has a chance to get right on offense. The Eagles have a chance to get right on defense, and there's good reasons for both when you look at what's happening with both these teams right now, which is interesting. I don't know if it's a lasting result that, that comes out of this, but it's it's going to be one that's that's a lot of people are going to be barking about. So let's let's dig into it. I mean, you, this is the classic Carson Wentz versus oh Dak Prescott oh debate, and I don't think we're going to necessarily dig too far in that debate. Number one, I think Carson Wentz is playing a high level of football. Number two, I think Dak Prescott's playing a high level of football. You watched that Jets game. I thought he was good and didn't get a whole lot of help from the people around him. And he was the most pressured quarterback for the week. Both of his tackles missing. Amari Cooper goes out, which is obviously a devastating blow to that offense. I mean, we could talk about roster construction and how that shouldn't necessarily happen. But the Eagles have had some stumbles without Deshaun Jackson in there, too. So, you know, I mean, we get it. Uh, But, Mark, looking at these two quarterbacks, we'll start with the Eagles. We'll start with Carson Wentz. Uh, some missed opportunities in this game against the Vikings. I mean, me and Benjamin Solak already documented like two big ones. The the missed blitz pickup by Jordan Howard that probably would have led to a touchdown to Zach Ertz if he if he picks up the right guy. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey inexplicably going out of ball, out of bounds on a perfectly placed pass by Wentz. Just things not hitting for Wentz, not getting a lot of help. I mean, these two quarterbacks. The Eagles have 17 drops. The Cowboys have 16 drops. Leads the league, top yeah. two. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't get any worse from that when it comes from from the supporting cast. So, what, what do you what have you thought about once uh, to this point? I, I think what we saw in that game last week against Minnesota sort of tracks with what we've seen from him this season, which is he's played extremely well. 
you know, you go through that game, you go through some of the incompletions, you go through some of the misses. Like you said, that Mitz Blix pick up, which didn't make sense to me at all. Like, like you had to think, you know, Howard's got to go inside out there. And the fact that he did it just made yeah. no sense to me. You know, I went back through this game multiple times and I found one, just one decision from Carson Wentz where I was like, I don't agree with the decision that he had here. And it was on a third and two at the 947 mark of the second quarter. They're at the Minnesota 49. They've got a 12 personnel package with a double wide wing to the left. And they run basically a curls concept. And it's similar to Jet Colt and Jet Stallion in the Eagles playbook, which are route concepts where you read inside out. And so he throws the inside curl to Dallas Goddard and he forces it in between two underneath defenders. But I think if you look to the outside curl to Ertz, there's sort of a bubble from the corner that's trying to come down to cover that route late. I think if Wentz comes off that inside curl curl quicker and goes to the outside curl, he's got a chance to complete this and keep this drive alive. And I say that like that's a decision I disagree with in the sense that I think he should have come off that first read quicker than he did. I understand why he made this throw. It's third and two. You've got to get the ball out. And your your first read is technically open. So you make that throw. I understand why he did it. But I think he could have come to that outside curl from Ertz and made a better throw and a better decision. Like you're seeing it right now with that corner that's a little bit off. You've got a better natural bubble there. Yeah. That's literally the only play of his from this game where I'm like, I don't think he made the right read. The rest of this game I thought was, I don't want to say flawless, but it yeah. was a well-executed game from him. And, you know, he didn't Mark, get a ton if, if of help. If I put up this throw, I'm sorry to cut you off, but if I put up this throw on Twitter, which which I made because we do a lot of video previews for these, so we can give you, gentle listeners, some visuals of what we're talking about here. We had a great one from last week where Mark broke down a play. I threw some graphics on it, took all the credit for it. But uh, on this play, on this third and two, when you, when you watch this, what about, because a lot of people are going to say, well, why not throw this up to Jeffrey? You give him a chance. That's his That's his strength, right? Would you, What would you say to counter that? Or would you kind of agree with that? I know it's third and two. I know the drop. But like, is there any credence to that? I, I, I don't. First of all, I don't have this exact play in a playbook that I have access to. So mm-hmm. I don't know the true progression reads. I'm working off of two different route concepts, Jet Colt, Jet Stallion, where they have curls. And you're reading that one to two. Yeah, he's obviously looking towards like the spacing towards the right. left. That's where he starts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's going on this one, the inside curl from Goddard, the outside curl from Ertz, and then the route in the flat from the running back. Like, that's mm. his read. Yeah. And a lot of the plays in the Eagles playbook, look, they've got man read and zone read. Mm-hmm. And here he gets zone coverage, so he's working the zone concepts with the two curls sitting down in space. If he saw man then you probably might look to Jeffrey on this dino post route to the backside, to the right, because that's a man-beater route. Mm. And you might have a chance to make that throw. And then if you come off of that, you've got the other receiver in the flat. You're running that arrow route, so you go dino post to curl. If you get man coverage, here he sees zone and he makes that. So I don't have a problem with him reading to this side of the field. The only other thing to highlight on this play is he does hitch for a second. Yeah. Like he starts to throw, he starts to pull the trigger and then waits. If he doesn't have that hitch, there might be a window to throw that inside curl route. But Or if he doesn't have that hitch, throw the other curl route. I agree, yeah. It's just the hitch there. And look, sometimes it happens. Your eyes don't mesh with the, the mind. Your eyes don't mesh with the muscle memory. You hesitate for a second. Sometimes that happens. But again... We're spending like five minutes now breaking down a third and two, which was probably his one mistake of the game. And even it, even then, it's kind of a push. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that hitch happens because the player Harrison Smith collisions Zach Ertz, and what Wentz wants right there is the running back coming out to the flat. But as soon as he sees Smith comes off, that's when he kind of reholsters it, and then that causes the delay of timing. Like there's so many different layers to this one little play, and ultimately, I, th- I think you're right. Like, yeah, he, he could have done better at this, but you could see why there was some delay there and why it went wrong. Remember that all of this happens. In the span of three seconds, okay? We don't get to slow motion this We don't get to sit here, slow motion this, bounce ideas off of each other, bounce <laughs> potential reads and questions off of each other. Yeah. Wentz has three seconds here, okay? Yeah. And he has three seconds while he's got, you know, the hoplites and the Persians like <laughs> storm in the pocket, ready to kick him off a cliff. Yeah. It's hard to really crush a guy for snap decisions like this. And again- mm. I just want to reiterate and underline and put it in bold face, 42-point font. This was the one mistake I found. <laughs> Not the back shoulder throw to Alshon Jeffrey that let him out of bounds. Give me a break with that Little one. Quote. That was a perfect ball. <laughs> Give me a break with that. I mean, look, there's – yes, there are routes in playbooks where you either throw it over the top or you throw it back shoulder depending right. on what you've seen. For example, rub concept in the Patriots playbook. You, if you get that corner that gets rubbed by the slant route, if he comes underneath, you throw it over the top. If he goes over the top of the rud, rub, you th- you turn that into a back shoulder throw in the wheel route on the fly. So there yeah. are times when you do that. That route in question to Jeffrey was not ever going to be a back shoulder throw unless you had coverage over the top, which in this case, the only thing over the top was the end zone. There was <laughs> nothing else over the top of that. So now, nah, uh, back definitely. shoulder, yeah, get out of here with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall. His performance, I think, I think I cut you off before you could make your 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 big point about what you think about Wentz from this game. But I think you kind of laid it out there. Yeah, not many mistakes, not many, no. not many things to nitpick. Like there are times where, like, I think his placement can definitely be better throughout the season. I think that's just a general statement overall. But again, I mean, brother, at some point, at, okay, at, let, me, let me ask you this because I've played around with this a lot and, and more so like. After the Falcons game and with the drop from Aguilar and then the Lions game with the drop from Jay Jaw and da- Dallas Goddard had one in the end zone as well. And then this game, it just seems like when they need a break, they can't get one. They almost come back from 24 to 3 to tie it up if, if Alshon doesn't go out of bounds and then later on the blitz pick up. But at what point does Carson Wentz, seeing the success that the Eagles had in 2017 in the playoffs without him, does he start to think that maybe he's a little snake bitten and does that ever get into his head, do you think? Maybe just a little bit? I'm certainly not one to play armchair psychologist, although I do all the time on Twitter. (laughs) But at the same time, like, it's hard not to. You know, it's hard not to that sort of level of doubt, not in yourself, but perhaps in those around you to start to sort of creep in when you make good reads and good throws and there's the lack of success or a lack of production. It's human nature. I mean, Mike, every time we do this show, you probably walk away thinking, man, I had to carry this guy through another episode. Like at some point, I got to get something on the other end of the microphone here. So it's just human nature to sort of feel let down, underwhelmed, disappointed in those around you. And so whether it affects his play is another thing. The thing that we might start to see is when start to press. I was going to say, yeah. Sort of that quicksand type thing where it's like, you know, things might be going against you. So you start trying to be too fine with your reads, too fine with your throws. Maybe you see more hesitation to double clutch moments like we saw because you're like, are we going to complete this if I throw it? And (laughs) that's when you might sort of see it impact on the field. And so – 
to bring it back to this 32, if you start to see more stuff like that, where it's almost like you can see the doubt creep into his mind on a reader or throw, then you might start to wonder if that really is happening to him in his mind. Yeah, that's kind of where I, where I wanted to kind of give that overall view of what it might look like later on with that doubt creeping in. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully the Eagles offense can get on track against this Dallas Cowboys defense that hasn't really been all that good. But when we come back here on the QB Sco Show, we are going to talk about the quarterback on the opposite side. We're going to be talking about some Dak Prescott. That's coming up next here on the QB Sco Show. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 37, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation, Michael Kist, here with QB1 in all of our hearts, Mark Schofield. Mark, let's talk about some Dak. I already kind of uh, alluded to it before. The, the Jets game for Dak, some placement issues, some a smattering of placement issues throughout the game. It never felt like the offense was in a rhythm. Michael Gallup couldn't catch a cold. Uh, Amari Cooper goes out. There were a lot of parallels in this game with Cowboys and Jets that I felt matched up really well with Eagles and Falcons coming into it with the drops and, you know, guys that you think are going to be on the field for you not being there and, and whatnot and some some key plays being missed by the by the wide receivers. So I thought Dak played well, despite what the stats might say or what others might say. It definitely wasn't his best game. And overall, this is a declining offense when it comes to the production that they're getting. I mean, you go from weeks one through three to weeks four through six, you're seeing a drop in yards per attempt from 9.8 down to 8.2. Pressure rates, by the way, up 21% to 44%. The red zone production got cut in half after being just fantastic. The running game hasn't been as good. They aren't scoring touch like their touchdown and turnover drive frequency are the same in the last three games. So there's a lot of things wrong with this offense other than them not doing as much play action. I, I, I'm not sure how uh, how it happened this way. Yeah. And I think it does come back to the play action because it's not that they're not doing as much of it. Through those first three weeks, they ran play action on 39.4% of their passes, which was mm -hmm. second highest in the league. Yep. It's down over the last three to 17.2%, which is tied for third fewest in the league. Yeah. And yeah, there might be some game script stuff in there that might play a role, but that's a big drop. And it's led people to believe that Jason Garrett has started to take a little bit more of yeah. an import in the game planning and the game call and the game scripting. Because we were talking about Wonder Kid, you know, Kellen Moore a couple of weeks ago when this offense was clicking, like you said, in the first three weeks, a lot of it based off of play action. And now, look, you know what I saw too much in this game from Dallas? Slot fade to the tight end, okay? When you're running slot fade to Jason Witten coming out of the slot, a dude that was just in the booth a couple of months ago, like that's probably not a way to generate offense, running slot fade to Jason Witten. That was the one in the end zone, right? Yeah. And you, and you wonder why it's overthrown. Yeah. <laughs> It's because he's expecting the guy to get there and he can't get there. It, it, so I, I was confused by that. I'm confused by the lack of play action. As far as Dak himself, like this was a typical Dak game. He made some plays. He made some reads and throws and sort of scramble drill situations. But you also saw some bad placement at time. They ran sort of a dagger type concept. I think second and eight at 627 of the second quarter. And he's got a window to make a throw. And the throw is late. The throw is high. And it's incomplete. Now it's catchable, but yeah. it's not where it should be. And that's sort of been always the issue with Dak dated back to Mississippi State, which was the placement isn't always as crisp as it needs to be. And when 
you've got protection problems when you're playing with backup offensive linemen and he's getting pressured and pressure impacts ball placement. When you've got drop issues in the from the receivers and then throws aren't exactly on target and so it, it's tough for them to make catches. That is sort of that like mishmash snowball of ineptitude. And that's what we sort of saw at times from this offense. I did like some of their designs. You know, I, I liked a play that I really liked 39 at the 11 minute mark of the third quarter. They come out on a three by one. And it looks like four verts because you get that bender from number three from left to right, I believe. Hmm. But it's really just curls from the other guys. The bender stays vertical on the post. But you really sort of sell that four verts concept out of a three by one. Defensive backs stay over the top of it. It gives you some easy curl routes to complete. I did like that design. Yeah. That's something to sort of think about. And you might see some double moves based off of that this week. We know hmm. Eagles history with double moves and things like <laughs> that. So you put it in the so, universe. <laughs> yeah, you put it out into the universe. It's gonna happen. I mean, look, yeah. we all called it before. You know, Super Bowl Fifty Two. We all said the double move was coming, and it did. And <laughs> the Eagles were able to overcome that one. So maybe they overcome this on Sunday night. But uh, for Dak, I think there was some nice stuff from him. Some of the re- issues we usually see with Dak, but it's that play action I think, and that lack of consistency using it, which has really held this offense back recently. Yeah, and I agree. And when you're coming in to face the Eagles, you see what the Vikings did with play action and their oh, yeah. boot game and everything. You have to kind of get back to that. And this is interesting. There, there, there's two different points that I wanted to to bring up with you. Number one, uh, I've seen guys like Brian Brodus who are around guys in the building and, and have been around that organization for a long time saying that Kellen Moore is is still the one in charge of the play calling because I think a lot of the Cowboys fans want to put this on Jason Garrett because oh, yeah. they don't want to believe because if it's if it's not Jason Garrett, there is no hope for this offense. Because right. if it's Kellen Moore, you're screwed. Because I mean, Jason Garrett was around Scott Linehan for years, could have said no at any point. Apparently, he's given free reign to Kellen Moore, and we're seeing what happens when they're playing decent defenses, and it's not looking fantastic. So that's an interesting conversation about who's actually doing what in that building. You know that Cowboys fans are just waiting for the day that. Jason Garrett gets kicked off the cliff yeah. again to oh, use yeah. a 300 reference because you saw the imagery of him like trying to high five players as they were coming off the sideline <laughs> at MetLife Stadium and they want nothing to do <laughs> with that guy. Like they would rather stick their hands into burning hot fire than to acknowledge the presence of Jason Garrett. And yeah. so that looks bad. Yeah. Now it could just be like, look, like with screenshot scouting, you can catch a glimpse of something and then you can make it say something that it actually doesn't. But it does seem like at least over the past couple of weeks, he's starting to lose this locker room. Mm. And he's been there a long time. Cowboys fans want nothing more than to see him get sent the door. So they want to pin this on him. But if he still has turned this over to Kellen Moore, and this is Moore's <laughs> offense, and he's the one calling slot fade to Jason Witten, you know, on the high in out of the high red zone. And which 50, has, 50 like, run pass ratios on first yeah. downs and early downs, yeah. Like, that's not the wonder kid that was promised to us. Like, we were yeah. promised a guy that had his own playbook when he was six, okay? And when he was drawn <laughs> it with, like, crayons because he's that big of a football mind. If this is what this guy's dialing up, like you said, it's a big letdown from what we saw in the first three weeks. Yeah, and, and they're still doing emotions. They're still doing a ton of formation shifts. Yep. They're still giving information pre-snap to the quarterback about whether huge. it's man, zone, you know, matchups, all that stuff. That's big for a quarterback. They just there's, there's something lacking there. I'll tell you what's not lacking, though, and this is the other point that I wanted to bring up uh, with, with Dak Prescott especially. This dude is tough. Yeah. This dude took some shots in this game, stood in there, 
and delivered and would have taken more and stood in there. You can say a lot of things about Dak. You can say he's a moderately accurate quarterback. You can say he's a quarterback that needs a strong supporting cast around him. A lot of quarterbacks are. You cannot say that this guy is not a gamer and not willing to put his body on the line, man. I was impressed with the way that he stood strong in the pocket. Even if it wasn't perfect placement, I don't care. He was not scared, took some shots, and he did not wilt. Yeah, and that dates back to his days at Mississippi State. And that's where I think a lot of people missed on Dak Prescott because a lot of people sort of – look, I had him like QB 17. Like I had him behind (laughs) Christian Hackenberg in that class. And when he had the success he had as a rookie, I went back and I I try to do this every year, like revisit my rankings from a couple of years prior. And so I look back at all my notes on him and you know, his final year as a junior, he had a game against Alabama and this was when Mississippi State was highly ranked and it was a huge game and they lost, but he battled into the fourth quarter. He was getting beat up and playing that Alabama defense is as, is as tough a test as you will see as a college quarterback because it's basically an NFL defense from talent and scheme combined. But he battled late into that game, threw touchdown late, and I wrote down and highlighted it, competitive toughness, plus mark. I just didn't incorporate that into sort of my final evaluation of him. But that was a thing that he had coming out. It's part of what made him the guy that could come in as a fourth-round pick and take over this team due to injury. He made himself better because he did get better as a rookie in terms of ball placement and stuff like that. And yes, he had help around him. But you can't question this dude's competitive toughness. You can question the placement. You can question the offense. You can question a lot of other things, but not that thing. He checks that box in a huge way. Definitely. Let, let's talk about Sam Darnold and his performance against the Cowboys because we can make some parallels as far as how he hurt the Cowboys and how maybe that translates for the Eagles. Sam Darnold comes back from mono. Looks good, man. I mean, the difference mono between... Mono-free Sammy D. <laughs> Sammy D. Big T D. Anyway, <laughs> some, <laughs> a little big mouth reference there. Sammy D comes back. And the difference between him and Falk is just absolutely night and day, just not from not serviceable just not to, to solid. And I liked Sam, Sam Darnold when I watched him in the offseason. He had a nice little run at the end of, this, end of the season coming into this one. I thought that we showed some promising stuff. I think he's going to be a perfectly cromulent quarterback. Uh, but what cromulent. did he do against the, the Cowboys that led to some success in the passing game for them? I want to start with a tweet that our mutual friend Evan Silva put out earlier this week after that game. And he said, Jets quarterback Sam Darnold is one month younger than Dwayne Haskins, seven months younger than Drew Locke, 11 (laughs) months younger than Gardner Minshew, nearly two years younger than Mason Rudolph, over two years younger than Baker Mayfield, and nearly three years younger than mediocre Mitchell Trubisky. I, did, did he say? Wait, hold on. Did he say mediocre, Mitch? Because no, I took a little Trubisky bit of license line. there. I took okay, a little okay. bit of license there. We we can't date him from ripping from the QB Sco show, or actually from <laughs> ripping from Michael J. Kist. But he's gonna be good. Yeah. Like as a Patriots fan, like I can see like a year or two now saying, "All right, the shift." Sam Darnold <laughs> is here now, and he's the best quarterback in this division because he's young. He's relatively new to the position. Again, he was a linebacker until his sophomore year in high school. And so like a lot of this muscle memory stuff that other guys have by this point isn't really ingrained in him as much as I, I think we see from other quarterbacks. Mm. The pocket movement, the ability to keep the eyes downfield. Look, credit to Adam Gase in this game because they get the ball late in the fourth quarter. They stayed aggressive. Yeah, like they, they had did. the scramble drill throw downfield where he found Crowder in a scramble drill situation. They had the back shoulder to Robbie Anderson. They were getting stuff like intermediate to the sidelines. I was impressed. Yeah. Yeah. They, there was like five minutes left in the game and they needed those points because look, 
they punt there. They go three and out, run it three times and punt. Hmm. Dallas wins that game. So they yeah. stayed aggressive. Credit to Gase. I was very impressed with Darnold in this game. Loved some of the vertical stuff that they were doing. A thing that Philadelphia can keep in mind for this game, and I think you're going to see a lot of what Philadelphia calls Falcon or Sparrow. Hmm. And these are just drive concepts, right? And we know drive dates back to the Bill Walsh days. They used it with Rice's Z drive where he runs basically the shallow. You get the tight end, you know, Russ Francis sort of on the deep dig route over the top. They did this a lot with both Demarius Thomas and Jamison Crowder, where you get Crowder working underneath and they get a dig route over the top. You do that, you show the linebackers the routes in front. We know those Dallas linebackers, young, athletic, they're going to collapse on that stuff. It gives you that dig route over the top. So expect to see that dig route play a big role Sunday. Donald threw it a bunch off yeah. these concepts they did they did with uh, NCA Mills as well. We have the post, the dig, and the shallow. But dig routes, I think, you got to show those linebackers something in front of them, dig routes behind them for big gains. Yeah, third quarter, uh, 6.57 on a second and 10. I mean, they did this a yeah. bunch in the game, but it's just one example. Yeah, but you hit- that's that second and 10, the, the shallow, the dig route over the top, yeah. Yeah, and, and they, they had a lot of success of going over the top of these linebackers in this game, which is something that hopefully the Eagles can take away from, learn from, and then apply into their game plan. Okay, so that's Sammy D, D, Wentz, and Dak. All right, we covered the three that we were supposed to cover there, there's a, there's an amalgamation of a quarterback out there that you're a big fan of. Who is it, Mark? If you had to ask me right now, my QB one in the National Football League, <laughs> it is generic Atlanta opposing quarterback. Okay, <laughs> because I just want to shout out what this quarterback has done to date. <laughs> he has completed. 137 of 192 passes, a 71.4 completion percentage, which would be third overall amongst any quarterback right now, okay? Yeah. For 1,627 yards, 15 touchdowns, just two interceptions, and an adjusted net yards per attempt of 9.3, which is behind only Patrick Mahomes. So generic Atlanta opposing quarterback is my favorite quarterback in the league right now. And you know why, Mike? It's partly because Atlanta can't cover anybody, okay? Yeah. They just can't cover anybody. I was watching that game that Kyler Murray had against them. Oh, yeah. And that huge, that 31-yard gain on a flat route to Johnson out of the backfield, <laughs> this comes on a first and 10, okay? Yeah. This comes with a middle-of-the-field open coverage. So they've got, I think it's Larry Fitz running the deep post route, and they got that. They bracketed, my friend. Like, they ain't throwing that route. But when he checks it down, Murray does, to Johnson in the left flat to a route that is five yards downfield, there is not an Atlanta defender within, I swear to God, 35 yards of him. Yeah. Like, it took them forever just to get near him. Nobody close. <laughs> I don't understand how it happens. And every Sunday night or Monday, you can go on the timeline and you can see somebody's got the gif of the dots and it's at a, a play against Atlanta. And there is just... There are just receivers running wide open. It's to the point where I think if I were generic Atlanta opposing quarterback, not that I put up numbers like this, but I could complete some throws in the NFL against this defense. And we always have those things on Twitter like, okay, if you were given five carries against the Dallas defense, how many yards could you get? And people are like, oh, I could get 25. It's like, no, you couldn't. Like, come on. (laughs) Let's be real here. You would get killed. Like, usually that's how I answer those questions. I would die on the field. I don't know, man. I think people on the timeline could, could could complete some throws against this Atlanta defense right now. Would you right now be in favor of firing Dan Quinn and hiring Jay Gruden? Because I really feel like they're wasting – Matt Ryan's playing good ball. Matt Ryan yeah. put up points in this Matt game. Matt Ryan's playing well. 
Yeah, he's been he well played. in this game. He's having a good year. I mean, you look really at some well. of the numbers that he's put up. I mean, again, adjusted net yards per attempt is just one stat, but he's ninth in the league right now, yeah. 6.96. Still where near his 2000, what was 2016 numbers where he was MVP, which was just off the charts, but he's but, but putting I th- up good numbers. I think, I think he could get closer to those 2016 numbers with a guy like Gruden instead of what they got yeah. going on with Dirk Cutter and then Dan Quinn running the show. I don't know what's going on with Atlanta. They, they got to do something there. They're too talented for that. They are too talented. Do you fire Quinn? Go Cutter, let Cutter run the show, and just God, tell no. God I mean, no, you've got to do something, right? This isn't working. It can't be Cutter though. You got to fire Dan Quinn. But yeah, I mean, they might need to hold a have a placeholder like an interim head coach. I would still, even in that situation, I would get the trebuchet ready, fire him into the moon, and I don't know, bring in Bill Callahan after the Washington team fires him for being an incompetent head coach. By the way. Great for them for establishing the run. You beat the team. They that's established absolutely it. <laughs> they established the established it. it. They beat a team that's actively trying to lose Did by one point. Did they really win that game? No, nobody like, won that really? game. Really? No. <laughs> you know who lost that game? I lost that game because that was one of our local games here in the D.C. area. And I got stuck watching that oh. one and trying to explain to my son and daughter why we were watching a game between two teams that had yet to win a game. Like I felt like a, a true failure as a parent and as a dad. That's like amazing. my son probably went to school the next to me like – I don't like my dad anymore. <laughs> like, it's just depressing. Yeah, so fire Dan Quinn. Bring in Jay yeah. Gruden. I don't know. Everybody should bring in Jay Gruden if you're struggling on offense. I don't know what Seriously. Washington's doing. Fascinating to see there, too. They're establishing. We are established. Speaking of which, we're going to establish our way right on out of here. Mark, any last thoughts before we go? I don't know what that transition was, but... <laughs> I have no idea. Just remember, friends, keep on sending in those submissions, the logo submissions for the official QB Scotia swag. We're going to get ready to make a decision. We'd like to get these out. I don't know if we could do it for the holidays, but soon, but please keep on sending those in. And of course, keep on sending in the references, the historical things you'd like to hear us talk about. Could be, you know, something that's not Greek history so we can get out of, you know, Kiss's realm and perhaps more a more familiar territory for me. But as always, friends, thanks for the love. Thanks for listening. That's all we got. We're here. We, we we're doing, yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Was that a cock? That's something. Gee.